The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right. Well, take your Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 13 as the ushers distribute the study sheets this morning. John chapter 13. And we'll begin there. If you will open to verse number 34, John chapter 13, verse 34. I'll just read two verses. We'll pray and we'll get into our lesson this morning. John chapter 13, beginning at verse 34. We read here. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this time that you've given us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would instruct us from God's word and Enlighten us as to the truth of the word of God and bless us for being in this place this day. We thank you for that in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, as I was singing this morning, I, I kept looking over at, uh, over here at Zella and it reminded me to slow down because uh, sometimes I, I get to singing a little fast and Zella's hyperventilating over there trying to keep up with us. So if I was too fast this morning, darling, I'm sorry. Uh, I try to, I, every time I see her, I try to remember to slow it down a little bit, let her get all the words in, and let her breathe. Uh, some of us who are, who are younger uh, can, can breathe a little better, but I uh, appreciate Zella being here this morning. Praise the Lord uh, that she's here. I, she's always a blessing to me to talk to her and to see her. And I hope when I'm her age that I'm as spry as she is and as dedicated to the Lord as she is. So thank you, Zella, for being here today. Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you. A new commandment. Now, we've been, we've been studying discipleship for the last several months. And we've taken the time to define discipleship. And we've studied the characteristics of true discipleship. And lately, we, we have begun to test our discipleship against the word of God. If we claim to be disciples, how do we measure up to God's expectations for disciples. And we've, we've looked at uh, three areas, three categories in, in uh, examining our personal discipleship. We looked at the first category, that of obedience, uh, and how do we as, as, as God's disciples conduct our lives in obedience to his word and obedience to his principles and things such as that. We looked at, secondly, at faithfulness. How faithful are we to God? How faithful are we to his expectations for our life? And then we looked last time at perseverance. And, and uh, we, we talked about our ability to persevere in this world and through, through suffering and through trials and tribulations and hardships and all these things. Now this morning, I would like to consider uh, another category that we should look at. And that is category number four. Love. Love. Now, in the, in the verse we just read, in the text verse this morning, we saw that the Lord gives us a commandment. And it's identified as a new commandment. 
but however, we know that Jesus didn't really give us a new commandment, did he? He didn't, he didn't actually change God's word. He simply expounded upon uh, the truth that we'd already been taught. For, for certainly the commandment to love is, is, is not new to mankind or to the word of God. In Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, we read, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So we see that as far back as in the book of Leviticus, God commanded that we love our neighbors as ourselves, that we love the brethren as ourselves. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 19, we read, Love ye therefore the stranger, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. So from the Old Testament, we can see that the the command to love one another is not a new commandment. Uh, And there are many more scriptures this morning that we could cite that admonish us to exhibit love to one another. So if this is not a new commandment, what is it? The Lord here is, is not writing a new law, nor is he attempting to correct an error in Old Testament teaching. What he's doing is he's raising the bar. He's expounding upon a a truth that's already been taught, and he's attempting to apply it in a more personal manner. Now, this world today is very confused concerning love. The world would would say if if you are sharp with your children, if you discipline your children they would say, you don't love your children. And that's because they don't understand the true concept of love. They, they mistake greed. They mistake avarice. They mistake lust for love. But that's not biblical love. You know, how many of you have ever seen the movie Shenandoah? Any of you ever saw that movie with Jimmy Stewart, James Stewart, Shenandoah? It's the Civil War era movie. There's a line in that movie that the first time I heard it it just struck such a chord with me. There's a scene where the young man is is talking to Jimmy Stewart about marrying his daughter. And they're sitting out on the porch. And Jimmy Stewart is rolling a cigar. And the young man is sitting there as nervous as can be confronting the girl's father. And he's sitting there and he looks up at him. He says, let me ask you, do, do you like my daughter? He said, well, sir, I love your daughter. He said, no, 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 that's not what I asked you. He said, I didn't ask you that. I said, do you like my daughter? And they went through this whole thing. And Jimmy Stewart's point was this. This young man had no idea what love is. He was interested in his daughter, and and he certainly liked her. He liked being with her and all these different things. But, you know, when I counsel young people talking to me about, about their, their boyfriends, I always tell them that you have no idea what marital love is. You have no idea. You understand the concept of loving someone, and you, you know that you enjoy being with this person, but you don't, know, you, you don't know yet what true love is. My wife and I be 34 years in September that we've been married. 
and I tell you, I, I have to honestly say, and I think she would agree, that true love in our marriage didn't exist right at the start. We liked each other. We enjoyed being with each other. We had fun together. We had to go through the growing pains, and we had to go through all of the trials and turmoils involved in marriage. And then finally, one day, we realized, hey, you know what? We love each other. We're committed to one another. We're, we're dedicated to one another. And, and these are the concepts of love that we find in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus states, Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. In other words, he's saying, now I want you to take a step upward in your Christian life. I want you to possess so much love that others will realize that you must be a disciple of God. Now, certainly this is not easy to do. To pronounce blessings upon those that seek to curse you. To show kindness to those that hate you. This is not an easy thing to do. To pray for those who use you and and persecute you. But this is the scriptural concept of love. Uh, In a marriage, for instance, I've I've known I've known husbands who, who who get upset with their wives. They say, well, I did all these things for her and she did nothing for me. Well, then why did you do those things? Did you do those things to get something? Or did you do those things because you love her? And often it's not because we love them. It's because we do nice things so nice things can be done unto us. But that is not Jesus' concept of love. We love because we're commanded to love. We love because it's it's God-like. We love because that's what God told us to do. And what we get in return is, is irrelevant. To accomplish this, however, we will need a love unlike the love offered by the world. We will need a love that will be so powerful that it will draw attention of all around us to the, to the truth of that love. But what are the characteristics of, of biblical love? I, I, I'm not going to take the time to read all these scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 13. You can read them later. The Bible describes uh, godly love. It talks about all the characteristics of love. And, and we're, we're going to go through those today. But I'm, as I said, I'm not going to read all 13 verses for time's sake, but you read them later. But it, it talks about all these characteristics of love. And these characteristics, by the way, just as we discussed Wednesday evening in our, in our um, fundamental study, which, by the way, everyone should be present for, amen. But um, as we discussed Wednesday evening, these are characteristics of God-like love. And as God's elect saints, we should possess those same characteristics. In fact, God has enabled us to possess those characteristics. The question is, do we put ourselves aside enough to submit to the, to the admonitions of God? But let's take a look at these characteristics 
of godly love. Characteristic number one, I'm going to say, is long-suffering. Long-suffering. Matter of fact, the Bible says, charity suffereth long in, in verse 4. It suffers long. It's, it's, it's patient. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, we read, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And, of course, this verse is making reference to the fact that God patiently, uh, in his own time and according to his own purpose, he patiently abides until, the, the, until all of his elect children are gathered together uh, before he comes again in the rapture. This is, this is the long-suffering of God. His love, he's patient. Boy, I tell you what, God has certainly been patient with me. And you know, there have been times when I don't deserve God's love and I don't deserve his patience, which is primarily most of the time. But God is patient. He, he forbears. He, he bears our, our, our failings. And, and as a parent, training his child. Now, I realize today that there are some parents that don't do a very good job of training their children. And again... The world says if you discipline your children, you don't love them. Yet the Bible says differently, doesn't it? Uh, now, it would have been hard-pressed to convince me while my dad was heating up my backside that he loved me. You'd have, you, I, at that moment, I would have been hard-pressed to believe he really loves me. But, you know, after I grew and I had children of my own and now I have grandchildren, I realized how deeply my father really loved me because he took the time to teach me and to train me and to correct me. I look back when I was a kid, I thought, boy, all of these other kids in the neighborhood, their parents loved them, man. They let them do whatever they want. But now I look back and most of them are, are either either died from drug overdose, died from from stupid accidents or sitting in prison today. Most of those kids I, I grew up with in the neighborhood whose parents thought they were so great because of their liberalness and because they let their children do their thing. I can look back today and I look at my life, which isn't the greatest in the world, but praise the Lord, I've got, I've got children that love the Lord and, and come to church. I've got a wife who, who loves me. I've got great-grandchildren. I've got, the, matter of fact, the best I've ever seen, but anyway. See, and I look back now and I realize what true love is. Now, it's patience. My dad was so patient with me. There were times I'd see him just stand there shaking his head, saying, how do I get across to this young man? And God is patient, and we need to be patient. You know what? We need to be patient with one another. How quickly do we judge other people? When we sit in a church service like this, and, and we hear preaching, and oftentimes in our mind we're thinking about somebody else. Well, I hope this person is listening, or I hope that person is listening. Patience. Exhibit the same amount of patience to those around you that you want yourself. Love is, is godly love is long-suffering. And, and we don't see that in the world. The world is not patient. 
The world will love you as long as you're doing what they want, but if you stop, they won't love you anymore. And that is not biblical love. So as Christians, we are to be long-suffering toward one another, long-suffering toward even the lost. And we're to have that long-suffering. That's a characteristic of godly love. But characteristic number two is kindness. Charity suffereth long, the Bible says, and is kind. Kindness. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, we read that ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Now, there was one point in Scripture, one, one time in history, when God didn't let the sun shine on those that were not his children. Anybody remember when that was? During the plagues in Egypt, right? God showed the distinction between his children and the, and the world. And there was light in the dwellings of the, of the Israelites, but there was a darkness so thick it could be felt upon all of Egypt. But God is kind even to those that hate him. He is kind even to those that despise him and, and, and use him. The sun is going to shine today on, on the saved and the unsaved. If it rains, it's going to rain on the just and on the unjust. And God's kindness at this time is being expressed to evenly to all men. His love is, it, it, it knows no bounds. Now, we can't say that, that God loves the lost as he loves his children, but certainly he, has, he exhibits kindness, does he not? His, his, his equity is, is seen unto all men at this time. And we're to be the same. We're to, have, we're to be kindness, kind to other people. Our love is to be like that of the Father. And he gives good things to all men, even those who are not of the household of faith. He provides food for, for all of mankind. He, he provides warmth from the sun. He provides coolness from the shade. He provides rain. He, he provides all these things to all of mankind. And we are to do the same. We're not to. Now, I don't think that we should fellowship, perhaps. I don't think we should fellowship with the lost. I think the Bible's very clear on that. We're not to, we're not to fellowship with those of, of, of the world. But listen, if you're driving down, if you're walking down the street and you see an accident, you don't run over there and say, hey, are you saved? Because if you're not saved, I'm not going to help you. No, we're, we're going to help. Them. Hence the, the story in the scripture of the Good Samaritan. Who was a good neighbor? Was it the righteous Pharisee? Was it the, was it the holier than thou uh, priest or, or was it the Samaritan who, who saw someone in need and, and, and he, was, he showed compassion, he showed kindness and love and that's what we are to do. I, I see far too many people who claim to be Christians today who are just mean, unkind, showing no compassion and that's not the way we are to, that's not the kind of love we should possess. We're not, we should be kind to all men. Characteristic number three, contentment. We should, learn, we should possess contentment. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 
1 through 7, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, uh, because they are the brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers uh, of, the, of the benefit these things teach and exhort. But then at verse number 6 in that passage, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, therefore... For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Godly love possesses contentment. Now, the world is never happy. The world is never satisfied. It always wants more and more. But the true disciple of Christ will learn to be content. Philippians chapter 4, we read, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul talks here about contentment. In other words, he said, what I, my circumstances do not affect My happiness, my contentment is not based upon what I have, what I'm going through. Paul said, I am content. In whatsoever state I am, I'm content. I've said this before. Someone came up to me one time and had had gotten a, a blessing they weren't expected. And they came up to me and said, God is so good. And I reminded them that God is good whether they got that blessing or not. God's goodness is not based upon what we get. Understand that right now. How many of you in this room right now, you you have full assurance, you know that you're born again, you know you're going to heaven, raise your hand. Then you ought to never lack for anything in your life. Nothing. God has given you that which you do not deserve. And he owes you nothing, including that. He didn't have to give that to you, but he chose to do that. So be content. Now, as I tarry in this life, if God, if God chooses that I should go through this life uh, lacking things, then praise be the name of God. I'll be happy with what I have. I won't desire to have more than he sees fit to give me. Now, that's not to say that you should be lazy and lay at home and do nothing. Okay, you should get up and do everything you can to provide for your family and take care of the needs you have. But you know what? Do all you can and trust the Lord. And what you need, he'll give you. I've always said I'll never be a wealthy man. I know that because it would corrupt me. And God knows that. And he's taught me that over the years. So my checkbook will have just enough all the time. My wife one day said, boy, wouldn't it be nice if we had enough money to buy a big house on the mountainside? I said, yeah, but it ain't never happening. <laughs> it's not going to happen unless it's in the Lord's will. And I, I personally just don't see it. But I'm content. I'm happy. We need to learn to be content. I, people today, you know what brings trouble? Discontent. That's what causes problem in people's lives. You know, when I get up in the morning, put my key in the ignition and turn it, I just close my eyes and 
It starts. I'm content. I don't need a $50,000 automobile with a $500 car note for the next seven years to be happy because it's going to break down too and it's going to wear out and I'm going to have to buy another one. Be happy. Be content. Be content with your spouse. Be content with your children. Be content with your job. You know, here's an interesting thing. And I've, I've seen this I've, I've seen this all over the last 33 years of ministry. People say, oh, man, this is a great job. I can't. This is going to be the best job I've ever had. And six months later, man, I wish I had another job. Huh? Same thing happens with wives sometimes, too. Man, she's a wonderful person. Man, I made a mistake. Be content with your home. Be content with your church. By the way, if you discover a problem in your church, guess what? They're in a the church on, the, on this earth that doesn't have problems. You go to another one, you're just going to find more problems. Be content with your church. Be content with your pastor. Hey, here's a novel idea. Don't look for things to criticize your pastor about. Just love him and be happy with him and, and pray for him and, and do things for him. People come to me and want to criticize a pastor. I'll tell them right up there. Stop right there. Stop right there. I'm not going to listen to that. Be content with your pastor. You see, God has given you what he wants you to have. So be happy with it. Be content with it. And you'll never know true Christian love until you learn contentment. Because you'll always be bitter. You'll You'll always be dissatisfied. We just need to learn to be happy. I, I hope I've never done this to you. I hope if you've ever come to me and said, how are you? I hope I've never gone, oh, I'm just not too good right now. You know, if I'm going through problems, most of the time, I, I don't want, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to share it with you or anybody else. Why, why bother? I, you know, my attitude is, praise God, I'm going to heaven. I'm a child of God. I need nothing more. And that's got to be our attitude as believers. We must possess true contentment in our hearts. Paul said, be content with such things as you have. And he he says, you brought nothing into this world and you're taking nothing out. You don't see U-Hauls hooked up to the back of Hearst's. Somebody else is going to sit in that nice car. Somebody else is going to lay in that warm house. Somebody else is going to enjoy all the things that you strove for in your life. So, so learn to be content with what you have. And, and if, you, if you do have a desire to have anything more, let it be more service to Christ. Now that's something we, we shouldn't be content with. We shouldn't be content just to do what, a little bit for Jesus. We should, be con, we should strive to do all that we can for the Lord Jesus Christ. Always doing more, always growing in Christ. Characteristic number four, humility. True Christian love produces humility in the life of the believer. Jesus was humble, wasn't he? The Bible says that he loved the Father, he loved us, he came to earth to die in our place and he took upon himself the Humility. He humbled himself. Sometimes 
we have to just put our, our pride aside and do what's best for someone else. In James chapter 4, James writes, From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust, that ye war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. He goes on, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God? Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? James says, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. James says we are to be humble. Humble ourselves before the Lord. Humble ourselves before our, our brethren. Seek not pride. Uh, put pride away from us in our hearts. And if we're going to be boastful, if we're going to be proud, if we're going to boast in anything, Paul said, let it be in the Lord. Galatians 6.14, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. We're to give the glory where the glory belongs. And where does the glory belong? Anybody tell me? To God. That's right. Now, we are to conduct our lives. We're to live as, as diligently as we can, we're to walk circumspectly. We're to be careful what we do. We're, on the job, we're to labor diligently and, and we're to work hard. We're not to be lazy. We're to, we're to do everything we possibly can do and in, our, in, our, in our flesh that we might glorify the Father, but all glory belongs to God. Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul didn't go around saying, oh, look how great I am. Look at me, I, everywhere I go, a church starts. I'm such a great man. And you know, in this century, in my lifetime, I've heard preachers like that. I've heard preachers that are standing in a pulpit and preach an hour-long message on their accomplishments and barely even once mention the name of God. But you see, true Christian love humbles us because we realize what we are. We realize that if not for the grace of God, we would not be anything. And it causes us to become humble and to glorify the Father in all that, that we do. But we don't live in a humble world. Matter of fact, in a large part of quote-unquote Christianity today, there isn't much humility. But let us at Berean, let us, let us be named among those that are humble. And then don't brag about our humility. Yeah, I've, I've seen that too. I've seen people who, are, who, who brag about how humble they are. <laughs> well, guess what? Jesus was humble. Jesus didn't stand on earth and say, I'm God, worship me. He came as a servant. He humbled himself. And he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he's our example, and we're to be humble also. 
We're to serve God fervently, but with humility, understanding that if it were not for the Father, we would be nothing. And then lastly, this morning, characteristic number five is propriety. These characteristics of of Christian love, uh, long-suffering, kindness, contentment, humility, and then propriety. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Walk worthy. Now, I have, to, I have to examine my own heart every day and ask myself, am I living my life worthy of the Father? Am I living my life worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, it's so easy to lose sight of that. It really is. It's so easy to get so involved and so wrapped up in, in what we're doing in times of trouble. In times of turmoil, and I, I, haven't, I haven't been perfect at this. But in, in my life, I've, when, when trouble or things come along, I try to stop and ask myself, am I, am I living my life the way I should live my life? I'll share a personal testimony with you and I'll be done. I don't want to embarrass my son. He's sitting over there, but I'm not really worried whether he's embarrassed or not. But... I had gotten a job in Louisiana, and it was kind of a lucrative job. I was working for the state. I was an auditor, and I'd travel here, and I'd travel there. And and all of those travels had kind of taken me away a little bit from my responsibilities in the church and to the Lord. um, I started to get a little too comfortable with that that type of thing. And, And I'm not saying that this is the reason this happened, but... My son was born, he was born with a, with a heart defect. And the doctor came, or the nurse came out, my mother and I were sitting there, my wife was delivering, we, we, they, she came out and she said, it's a boy. And we were so happy and we were thrilled and we were rejoicing. Not that I don't love my daughters, I love my daughters, but every daddy wants a son. And so I, I started rejoicing, we rejoiced, and the doctor comes out and he sat me down. He said, he said Dalton, there's a problem. We haven't identified it yet, but... It's a pretty serious problem. And in that hospital, they had a small chapel. And I walked in there, and I got on my my knees, and I I asked the Father to forgive me. I asked the Lord to forgive me because I had begun begun to put the Lord second in my life. Now, again, I'm not saying that's why that happened. But you know what? When it came time to examine myself, I realized that I... I, had, I was not what I ought to be. And I prayed right then and there that the Lord would spare his life and, and would give me a full life with my son, and I committed to him that I would never again put him second in my life. We need to examine our own hearts every day. Is everything that we're doing in our life to the glory of the Father? And I think if we did that diligently, we would find that a lot of the things we do shouldn't be, shouldn't be going on. Now, folks, I don't like to, I'm not trying to vaunt myself. I'm not trying to lift myself. I'm just sharing with you 
my personal experience in this. We have got to live our lives in humility. We have got to live our lives with propriety. Walking worthy of God the Father in everything that we do in our lives, in our business dealings, in our marriage, in our home, in our personal interactions, all of it needs to be done properly. These are the characteristics of true godly love. Let's examine ourselves. Let's apply these things to our own heart and see, do we truly live in Christian love in our lives? All right, folks, thanks for coming out. I hope it was a blessing to you and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roanoke Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roanoke Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.